Hello everyone, welcome to a very special episode of Customer Experience Leader Chat Podcast presented by Nars Supply. Today we will talk about customer effort score, what it is, how it can benefit your company and how can you train your support agent to provide a effortless experience. My name is Igor Minarik, I work as Sales and Customer Success Manager at Nars Supply. Today I'll be talking to Scott Rotman. Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so I'm a, a market director here with Challenger. I oversee the revenue business for the effortless experience. Okay, so let's introduce our companies. We're going to start with Nargeplay first. Uh, the reason why we decided to create a special episode discussing customer effort score is that both of our companies provide solutions for reducing customer effort. Nargeplay is a customer satisfaction survey tool built for support teams used to measure customer satisfaction, CSAT, customer effort score, CS, and net promoter score, MPS. Nargeplay helps increase the revenues of businesses by measuring and improving customer satisfaction. Each month, our customers collect over 200,000 respons- survey responses from their customers. They do so by why uh, a combination of one-click service inside of email signatures, as well as service sent after conversation is closed. The benefit to user is they complete the survey with one click only. The benefit for our clients is that they can increase the amount of feedback they receive. We've seen response rates improve by more than 300%. So some clients include Microsoft, HubSpot, and Goodreads. So that's uh, about our supply. Scott, can you introduce Challenger a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Challenger is a global best practice professional services company dedicated to changing behaviors in customer service, sales, and marketing teams. Our service programs are supported by ongoing research and backed by our best-selling book, The Effortless Experience. And since 2015 or so, we've offered a transformational program that enables service teams to consistently make it easy for customers when something goes wrong. Uh, leading to improved metrics such as customer effort score, CSAT, uh, NPS, and ultimately leading to sustained customer loyalty. Okay, great. Thank you very much. So let's move to another question. Uh, the second question is, what is customer effort score uh, or CES? Uh, the CES was created in 2010. The customer effort score is fairly new to the scene, but it's becoming increasingly more popular. Everyone knows how it feels to be burned by a company support team long wait times, wag answers, and way too much back and forth. That's exactly what the customer effort score or CS aims to eliminate. CS is a metric which customer service teams are using to relate how easy customers thought it was to get a resolution to their recent contact. They measure it by serving customers after re- the resolution of their uh, customer service conversation, so at, at the end of the ticket. The idea is that customers enjoy doing business with companies that are easy to work with. Great customer service is a big part of business, uh, making business transaction easy. Think about the last really frustrating experience you had with a company. It probably involved several emails back and forth with customer service team. It likely felt very difficult to to get clear answer and solution from the company. After spending so much time and effort dealing with the company, you might think twice about purchasing from them again. Is that right? (laughs) So I have a... I think that's right anyways. <laughs> it is It is definitely true. I have a, another question for you, Scott. Uh, how and why was CS developed? You can tell us more about that. Yeah, it actually started about 12 years ago when we were, we were still part of a company called CEB or Corporate Executive Board, which was acquired by another company called Gartner in 2018. CEB was a best practice research firm serving the global 2000 across every major business function. Think sales, marketing, legal, strategy, IT, HR, 40 
plus different research programs, one of which was customer support and contact centers. And again, about 12 years ago, several contact center leaders, customer support leaders, et cetera, came to us and said, look, we're getting a lot of pressure from our executive teams to figure out how customer support can deliver these moments of wow and drive customer loyalty. We're already measuring things like CSAT and NPS. Can you go figure it out for us? So we went out and we researched it. And, you know, of course, we all already know that customers typically contact support because something's gone wrong. Um, and so what we learned through the research or what we uncovered through all this research is that when something's gone wrong and a customer calls, what ultimately drives their loyalty is how easy we make it for them to get their questions answered, their problems solved, uh, their issues taken care of, and so on. And then, of course, once we uncovered that insight, we turned our attention to to measuring it. That that's a really interesting point. How we got to uh, actually to to uh, discover the, the CES or customer effort score metric. So uh, let's move to another question. Why should you actually measure CES? Uh, that's the question asked by, by a lot of companies and our clients, <laughs> our future clients. So uh, the simple answer to that is that by measuring CES or customer effort uh, score, you provide uh, actionable feedback to your team and to the company. Most customer service team measure the quality of their work in some way. Often this is through a customer satisfaction survey or everybody knows CSAT, uh, but it's a very poor indicator of future customer loyalty. Uh, Fred Reichelt, the creator of, of MPS and the author of Ultimate Question, found that 60 to 80% of customers who ultimately defect had said they were satisfied or even very satisfied the last time they uh, participated in a survey. Measuring CES can help teams understand why dissatisfied customers are still frequently churning. Once a team is constantly achieving 90 to 95% CSAT, any resources spent increasing CSAT result in decreasing return on investment. To raise CSAT, even a couple of percentage points would take a lot of time and not even result in a massive change in customer loyalty or perception. For teams in this position, uh, initiating a CS program can provide new avenues for uh, improving the customer experience and building lo customer loyalty. A common concern with the MPS and CSAT is that the feedback is often too vague and out of the scope of the customer service team. While product feedback is always helpful, customer service leaders may feel powerless to actually impact product design in a meaningful way. But because CS is designed to measure a very specific interaction, the feedback is almost always actionable by the customer service department. If you're wondering if CES is right for you, here are some indicators that your team might benefit from implementing a CES program. Uh, so po first point is you're already seeing constantly high CSET score or customer satisfaction score ratings and wonder what now. Uh, the second point is your customers continue to show signs of disloyalty even though CSET ratings are high. And the last point is that you're receiving a feedback that isn't relevant to the customer service team. So that's... Uh, why should you actually measure CES and why you should start uh, to measure this metric? Uh, so let's move to another question. Uh, how do you actually measure CES? You can measure CES by serving customers after the conclusion uh, of a customer service interaction. The survey uses a specific statement, the company made it easy for me to handle my issue and the customer answer on a standard one to seven, whether they agree or disagree with the statement. After the customers select their rating, they usually follow up with a question where they can leave any additional comment or an explanation of their score. 
as most help desks don't offer native customer effort, uh, customer effort score survey, teams wanting to measure customer effort will need to integrate the survey tool with their workflow. Knowledge Supply integrates with all of the most popular help desks, um, including Zendesk, Intercom, Help Scout, uh, and Freshdesk, and, and, and many more. And let's uh, and the, the setup of the CES um, takes only a couple of minutes. It's also possible to use Knowledge Supply API to build an entire customized survey flow. Uh, ideally, CS scores uh, should be attached to the relevant user or ticket ID or conversation history. This aids in the future analysis of uh, CS trends and, and churn. Okay, so would you like to add something to, to this point or to the previous one? I, I was just going to measure. I thought, I thought your point about, you know, already seeing consistently high CSAT ratings. Um, I, I wanted to say this, but I wanted to check with you to make sure you're, you're okay with it. I find, Igor and, and Link, if you're listening as well, I find so many companies that I talk to talk about how strong their CSAT numbers are. Um, and I make jokes that it seems like there's no company I work with that doesn't have high CSAT, right? I mean, every company seems to have high CSAT these days. And I think that point is, is quite important to make about, you know, if you're already seeing high CSAT and wondering what now, customer effort is a fantastic measure um, to, to use for sure. So. I was just going to make a, a little bit of a, a joke that it feels like every company has high CSAT these days. And if you really want to get at how to improve and how to fix something, I think NPS and C and customer effort is a, a good next step. So that's what I was thinking of adding, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Usually the, we see that there is, uh, exactly as you said, there is a lot of companies with high CSAT. Uh, about 90%, uh, but the feedback is not that actionable. Mm -hmm. uh, so they get just the score and the click on the smiley face or they get 10 stars, but the feedback isn't that actionable. Yeah. Uh, so that's why they decided uh, they, they need to add uh, different metric, usually with the CSAT. Uh, it, it's driven by emotions. So uh, customer, whenever they, they get the resolution to their case, they hit smiley face or 10 stars. Yeah. But uh, it's just the... Mostly, it's design and it's uh, set to measure like agent performance rather than uh, satisfaction with the product or uh, or some I don't know some something in the in the company. So yeah, I think the only other thing I was going to say is that a lot of times people don't quite realize that the question is that simple, right? Hey, how easy uh, did the company make it for me to handle this issue today? A lot of times people don't realize it's quite that simple, and on a scale of one to seven and some companies and you know will do a, a scale of one to five, which is uh, fine as well. But the other thing is, it's just from my perspective, anyways, it's a lot tougher to game the system when it comes to customer effort versus some of these other metrics, right? Because I think we've all been on the receiving end of a call when you start to hang up and an agent or a rep says, "Did I provide you with five star service today?" Right? Um, you know, hey, make sure I get a five star rating. Uh, you know, that, you know, I, I need to make sure that we got that before we hang up, you know, there, you know, even if you get out of an Uber these days, you get that sort of thing. Don't forget to rate me in five stars. So I think a lot of times people have figured out how to quote unquote game that system a little bit. And I think it's a lot tougher to do it with customer effort. Definitely, definitely. And we also see there is much more feedback uh, through CS than uh, through CSET. Mm -hmm. Just, I don't know why, but people uh, tend to leave more feedback when they get asked like if it was easy to uh, open an issue and get a resolution rather than just click on the on the smiley faces and uh, and get a question like how nice was my reply or something like that. Yeah. And I think your, your comment earlier about, 
you know, finding 60 80% of customers who defect said they were satisfied, right? I mean, you were satisfied, but okay, right? Why are you leaving or why are you not telling more people about us and, and so on? And I think that just is, is exactly the point that we're trying to make with customer effort. Exactly. Okay, so let's move to another question. Uh, another question is what to do with uh, CES feedback. Uh, so let me just go through, the, through that. Uh, so what to do with CS feedback? Customer effort score or CS are best utilized by teams looking to optimize for loyalty. As Matt Dixner wise, teams need to focus on finding new ways to get rid of the hassle, the hurdles, the extra customer effort that leads to disloyalty. CS helps point teams in the right direction. Uh, what's a good score to look for? Well, the CEB says that moving a customer from a one to a five was their loyalty by 22%. Returns diminish after that. A customer who responds to a seven is only 2% more loyal than a customer who responds as a five. But it's not all about the numbers either. Here are four other ways you can get uh, the most out of CES analysis. Uh, a real-time feedback mechanism is a customer effort score uh, come in. Uh, they can reveal customers who are still unhappy with the resolution of their ticket. Keeping an eye on incoming feedback helps customer service leaders react quickly to problems. Uh, supervisor may also want to reach out to any customers who experience a high effort situation for uh, service recovery. Apologizing to the customers proactively could help prevent them uh, from canceling in the future. Uh, would you like to add something to this point or should I continue? Um, the only thing I was going to add actually was, um, you know, Matt's exactly right, which is to say that there is a, there's a, a bit of a law of diminishing returns. It's not necessarily worth it to spend the time moving a five to a seven. It's about moving those one, twos, threes, and fours to the to the five, right? That's where you're going to see the greatest shift happen. And a lot of times people think, oh, I just need to get people who are good to great. It's actually getting the people who aren't so good to, to good. Yeah, 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 exactly. So we also see that uh, agents who see uh, constantly below normal CS result may need additional training, uh, but sometimes it's tricky since, uh, for example, senior agents who pick up more complex tickets or take over existing problems may also see high CS results due to the nature of their work since just the ticket is complicated and it wasn't handled correctly before. So you need to see the context as well, not just the numbers. Uh, so let's move to another uh, part of this question, distribution, not just averages. CS is somewhat unique metric because to get the most out of it, both distribution of scores and the average need to be taken into account. For example, an average CS score of 5.4 looks pretty good, right? Except if you find out that it's not it's made out of sevens and ones. While most customers are finding it really easy to get uh, in touch with, uh, there's a handful of customers who are having a nightmare or, uh, of a time getting help. So that's uh, exactly uh, what you talk about. So if, if there is a lot of ones, uh, uh, there is a big problem uh, in a company and we need to find those like pain points uh, which we need to improve. Uh, okay, so let's move to another part of, of this question. Identifying trends and hotspots. Uh, metrics are the most powerful when combined with the context they come from. This means understanding what type of customers are more likely to have high effort experience. It means understanding what channels have lower and, uh, than average customer effort score, uh, CS score. It means digging deep into the data and un uncovering trends that help explain the numbers. 
you should use CS data to help influence the product decision by identifying common issues that are very difficult, uh, which have high effort to resolve. The product can change uh, the highest impact uh, fixes. So that's uh, was about the question. What to do with the CS feedback? Uh, do you have I don't know some like practical example you you did with the CS for example, or um, whenever you. I think in the back of my head, we've got certainly a number of cases where CES has improved, but I don't think that's what you're looking for here. Let me think for one second. Um, yeah, no, what comes to mind are use cases of organizations who have gone through the program and improved CES, but I don't think that's a, that's, this is the spot mm -hmm. for that. So I think the only other thing that's not quite practical is I just, I, I think your, I think your comment about looking at the distribution is, is, is quite right. Because to your point, if you have an average of 5.4, that does look good. But if you've got just both ends of the spectrum, a lot of ones, it's, it's just important to root cause why those ones exist. Is it on specific products? Is it a specific group? Are they more complex issues? To your point later on, you know, is it a product issue? Where specifically is or where specifically are those effort full experiences happening throughout the entire holistic experience. So um, I just, just some agreement, not really a practical example for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I agree that if you're manager or a customer support, or customer experience manager, you need to go, you, you definitely need to look at the overall CS score, but also you need to go through all the ratings and, and see some pain points if there are any. Uh, okay, so let's move to another question. Uh, can CS be too high? Yes, mm -hmm. the CS can be too high. Our customers can find it too easy to get help. If every customer is finding it too easy to do business with, you're probably not being very efficient with your customer service resources. When you're looking at the distribution, look for a bell curve with most responses around five or six. If it's heavily weighted toward the seven, it's too easy for your customers to contact you and you should be encouraging them to self-serve. Uh, Self-service is anything that allows a customer to solve their problem a uh, or a question. Uh, it might be an interactive guide to CS, a Hubdesk article, or any uh, other uh, in-product tutorial. Take a look at the, uh, these uh, service responses to see uh, what content your team should be creating, and hopefully you will see the number of times customers have to contact, your, uh, have, have, uh, to contact you is decreasing. So have you experienced that? So uh, I, I do have some thoughts here. I was okay. going to say, I do have some thoughts here. Um, I think this is at the, this is, this gets to the heart of effortless. And, and I, for those of us that remember the Goldilocks, Goldilocks and the three bears story, uh, this is, this is, this is the Goldilocks effect, right? You don't want to be um, underperforming. You don't want to be overperforming. You want to be just right. And that's truly the case for, for CES. And it gets to the heart of, uh, of effortless where you certainly, again, don't want to underperform, but there's no benefit really for most of us to overperform. The idea of getting right uh, at the right spot, that five or six is exactly where you want to be. And there's not a lot of incentive financial, meaning we're driving more from that five or six to a seven. And in fact, what I would argue is that it actually gets quite expensive as we continue to push uh, towards that seven, or it can get expensive as we push to the seven. Exactly. And, and the question is, if, if it gives any return on investment, if you, if you invest to, to get to seven. 
Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's an exception to, to every rule. And for those organizations that are, you know, have created a brand that's based on having a seven across the board, you know, when it comes to effortless, totally get it. But for most of us, a five or six will do just fine. Exactly. So let's move to another question. Uh, what are the benefits of measuring CES? Uh, customer effort score is rising in popularity for a few reasons. First of all, it is the best predictor of customers' future behavior. According to published studies, CES is 1.8 times better predictor, uh, better at predicting customer loyalty than customer satisfaction, and two times better than NPS Net Promoter Score. Uh, it can also be helpful uh, to companies that have already achieved constantly high customer satisfaction, so CSET score. Uh, because CS focuses on a different part of customer experience, you will see different areas of uh, opportunity to improve. So as we talked before, uh, sometimes with the CSET you don't get uh, actionable feedback, but uh, with the CS uh, is different and you get different areas uh, to improve. Would you like to add something to this or we can move to another question no i think we're good there i don't think i have too much to add there i think that was great okay so uh how can customer support reps reduce customer effort when we first uncovered the concept and how important it is to driving loyalty you know like we've been talking about we figured out to measure it through customer effort score and then we said well we know it's important we know how to measure it now we got to figure out how we can drive it how we can impact it we started to ask ourselves questions like are people just born with the ability to deliver low effort experiences? You know, if not, can people be taught it? If so, what are the specific skills? Does it apply to certain industries, cultures, geographies, and so on? And what we learned over a decade plus of research is, and, and this is something that so many heads of customer support acknowledge, but in my mind, don't do enough about. Uh, is that reps have an outsized and direct impact on reducing customer effort. Uh, the irony is, in a technology-driven world, our people matter more than ever before. Um, absolutely, self-service plays a huge role in the customer support experience. There are a, a great number of technologies out there today, you know, AI, bots, and so on. Listen, I'm a tech guy at heart, uh, and those have an incredibly important role in driving the experience. But at the end of the day, our reps are the ones talking to our customers day in and, and day out. And through the research, we found that there's a specific set of skills that leaders in customer service can reskill their teams on so they can feel confident, their reps can feel confident that no matter the scenario, the reps can drive a low effort experience. The end goal is for this to become uh, you know, a mindset at an organization. It just becomes part of the culture. It's it's just what reps do. Um, I, I call it an organizational DNA. Uh, and the good news is it just doesn't matter where you are on your technology roadmap. Okay, great. Thank you for, for that answer. Uh, uh, so we can move to the last question we have, uh, and that's uh, what skills can they focus on improving? Uh, so again, what we learned through the research is that there are nine specific skills that, again, if we can equip our reps with, we can feel confident and they can feel confident that no matter the scenario, they'll be able to drive a low effort experience. And these nine skills, we'll, we'll talk more about them in a second, they range from foundational to advanced. But the other thing I'll address is that a lot of times people hear nine skills and say, well, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot for my reps to be trained on and demonstrate. Here's what I'll share. Um, there are nine skills 
but it's going to be rare that you'll find a rep demonstrating those nine skills on, on an interaction, a call, an email, or chat. What we tend to find is that three to four of the low effort skills are applied during an interaction. The idea is to reskill your reps so that they know these skills, and then they can also decide when, where, how they're going to deploy these mix of skills. Um, the nine skills, again, they, they, are, they really break down into three groups. And the way I think about it is you have your foundational set of skills, your, your 201 level skills, and then your 301 are your most advanced skills. And the foundational skills are, are frequently, or I should say, overlap quite often with some of the skills contact centers and customer support teams train their reps on during onboarding. But what we found for one reason or another is that they don't stick. And a lot of times what we're doing during the foundational portion of the program is we're breaking down a lot of, I hate to say bad habits, and building up the right ones. And so the skills we focus on in the foundational phase are things like flexing communication styles. And here we're talking to reps about understanding their communication styles, specifically how they respond during stressful scenarios. And more importantly, I think anyways, how to quickly diagnose the communication style of the customer they are speaking with. Because I think if there's anything that we've learned, especially over the last 18 months, is that when a customer calls with a problem or an issue or something along those lines, they are expecting some sort of personalized or tailored experience. And where it starts from our perspective is for a rep to understand, hey, how does this customer communicate so I can better tailor this experience to them? The second skill we teach during the foundational portion is ownership and advocacy. And again, this one in particular is where we are breaking down some bad habits. Sure, at a high level, it's the right tone, right language. But what we do is we unpack it and we actually teach five components of advocacy. How to be transparent, how to serve as a champion for your customer, how to be an acting consultant, how to provide value. What's incredibly important these days? Empathy. Um, so those five key pieces are what we teach during the ownership and advocacy portion. Uh, and then there's active listening. That's another skill as I mentioned that's taught during onboarding but doesn't stick. A lot of times it's taught in a very obvious fashion. Hey, listening is important. Go do it. Um, so again, what we do here is we spend time with reps unpacking some of these bad behaviors, unpacking what active listening is, uh, and focusing on four components. Attentiveness. patience how to be objective, even when a customer is maybe yelling at you or very upset, how to continue to be patient and objective. And of course, because it's so important these days, revisiting empathy. And then the fourth skill that we teach in the foundational phase, which is a, I call it the gateway to the rest of the skills, is surfacing additional information. This is when a customer is calling with a problem or an issue. And it's, a, you know, it's, it's our rep or our agent that should be taking a few seconds to try to ask questions smart questions so that they can surface additional information from the customer and better serve them. This takes us to the, the, the second set of skills, uh, the 201 level skills. Now, those 201 level skills are positioning alternatives, using positive language, and acknowledging baggage. Positioning alternatives uh, builds very nicely on surfacing additional information. The idea when you take them together is ask smart questions so that you as the rep can serve as a consultant to your customer and position the right alternative. And that alternative might be a lower cost alternative. It might be a more robust, costly, uh, costlier, excuse me, alternative. But again, it's going to be the right alternative for the customer. So often we find customers call with a problem and they think they know the answer, 
when in reality, they don't. They just don't know what's possible. And so it's on us as leaders and as reps to position the right alternative. It might even be an alternative that a customer didn't even know existed. Uh, using positive language. This is one of my favorite skills. So often when we call customer service, what are we told? We're told no, or can't, or shouldn't, or unfortunately, or policy this or policy that. Using positive language is a technique that we teach that is all about telling customers what can be done rather than what can't be done. And I want to be clear, it's not like we're suggesting uh, to be devious or underhanded or anything like that. We're still saying, let's be honest and upfront and transparent, but let's do so using positive, uh, positive language. Let's do so telling customers what can be done. And then acknowledging baggage. Believe it or not, 92% of the time, customers bring some baggage with them to the current interaction, meaning there's something that's gone on beforehand that is staying with them. And oftentimes, it's the past experience with us, right, with the service provider. So many of us have interacted with an, you know, a service provider where we go, oh, I've got to call them. My last experience was horrible. So many customers bring that experience with them. And what we teach reps and what we encourage reps to do is rather than avoid that, run right to it. Run right to it and say, hey, I saw that you called a couple of days ago. Are you calling about the same issue? Um, hey, have you called recently about the issue you're reaching out about today? I am, you know, I, and I've been on the website for four hours. It's driving me crazy. Can someone please just help? Absolutely. You've got me. We're going to solve that problem once and for all. So I'm running right to the baggage and I'm owning and advocating right then and there. So in the first five or 10 seconds of an interaction, I've demonstrated two low effort skills. And then last but not least, the, the 301 or the advanced skills, recognizing opportunities and positioning naturally. We often bundle these up, or I often bundle them up and talk about it uh, from the concept of something called, we call forward resolving or next issue avoidance. And the idea behind that is we're going to solve the current issue, and we're also going to solve the next likely issue as well. The idea behind it is we want to solve this problem before it actually exists. So you as a customer don't have to call us back, don't have to reach out to us via email or chat. Um, by the way, I'm happy to give some practical examples. That's obviously a bit of the theoretical and research side of things. But if you'd like, I'm happy to give some specific and practical examples as well. Of course. Yeah, go go, go ahead. But it was really interesting points. Uh, uh, I need to say that some of the points we already do in our company yeah. at Knowledge Supply, but some points we need to learn. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for that as well. Sure. Um, yeah, a couple examples that I'll just use. When I talk about surfacing additional information and positioning alternatives, I'll give you a real life example. This comes, it's two years ago. Uh, I, I live in the States. For those that aren't in the States, you know, you may know we have a, a U.S. holiday called Thanksgiving. And the day after is known uh, as Black Friday. It's when the retailers here offer all sorts of discounts to get ahead of the holiday shopping. And I rarely get involved in it. And I rarely buy clothes online. I just find that they don't fit super well, but I got caught up in it and I bought a sweater. And sure enough, the sweater arrived two days later and it didn't fit. So I called the retailer and I explained the situation. I just said, you know, it doesn't fit. Can I get a refund? Can you send me a label? Whatever. And the rep stops me and says, Mr. Rothman, do you have a couple seconds? I'd love to ask you a few quick questions. And I said, sure. And she said, you know, what'd you buy the sweater for? Was it for work or for fun? What'd you like about it? Was it the, the color, the material, the design? 
I think all in all, she asked me about four questions. At the end, she says, the reason why I'm asking these questions is because I've got another sweater. It looks almost identical to the one you've purchased, but the material is slightly different. I think it's going to fit you better. Do you mind if I send it to you? Um, if you like it, great, keep it. If you don't like it, no worries. Just send it back with the original sweater. So I said, sure, why not? So she sent me the sweater. It arrived two days later, and of course, it fit. I've still got it in my closet, and it's a great sweater. And that's a perfect example, as far as I'm concerned, where Rep demonstrated two low-effort skills. She surfaced additional information. She asked me smart questions, and then she positioned an alternative that I didn't even know existed. And in that situation, she not only provided a low-effort service experience, she saved a sale. And also made a sale. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, and then when I think about positive language, the company that comes to mind is Disney. So anyone that's been to any Disney theme park around the world might have experienced this. If you go to any theme park and you ask them what time does the park close, they'll tell you the park closes at 4.30. When you're at a Disney theme park, what they will tell you is that the park stays open or the park remains open until 4.30 and again reopens tomorrow at you know, 9 or 9.30. And the insight here is that Disney's still telling their customers the same thing, right? The park is closing at 4.30, but the language they're using is slightly different. The language they're using is the park stays open. The park remains open. They're using positive language to convey the same thing. And Disney's really dug into it, and they found that this has a tremendous impact um, at the theme park in terms of uh, customers who stay and, and buy more and so on. Uh, and then the last one I have, uh, Igor, is around forward resolving. Um, I just mentioned forward resolving. You know, we talked about, about we talked a little bit about forward resolving and next issue avoidance. Um, you mentioned Matt Dixon earlier. The example that Matt often likes to use is the time he was vacuum his, vacuuming or cleaning his house, and he was vacuuming and he broke his vacuum, and he took it apart. And um, I still don't know how he did this, but he took it apart. And he crushed something. And so he calls the manufacturer and explains the situation. And uh, as the conversation is going on, the rep says, oh, you've broken, I think it was the dust tube cover or something along those lines. I'll drop two in the mail and you'll have them in a couple of days. And Matt said, well, wait a second. I, you know, I, I don't need two. I just need the one. And they're kind of expensive. I don't feel like paying for the second one. And the rep says, well, here's the thing. In my experience, these covers are quite temperamental. And when I send them, what happens is customers tend to try to shove it into place and they break it. And they have to call me back, go through the IVR, explain the situation, and then wait another couple of days for another tube to be sent. Just to avoid all that, I'm going to drop a second in the mail. If you wind up breaking the first, you've got a backup. If you don't break the first, guess what? You've got one in case it breaks somewhere down the road. And that is a great example or a perfect example of what forward resolving or next issue avoidance is all about. We're solving not only the current problem, but the next likely problem as well. That's that's great example. Thank you, Scott, for, for sharing that. Again, thank you very much for uh, uh, setting a time aside for this uh, podcast. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please leave a rating or share it with others. And always make sure to check out our other support interviews and more quality content at nicereply.com.